sweet. There's a group of people that have come over, and I, I've heard the the heart behind it. Haven't met any of them yet, but uh, the heart behind it is um, uh, the leader of this. You know, Korea is one of the fastest. Like uh, Christianity is spreading like crazy in some of these countries on the other side of the world, where persecution and things are are um, really flying in in their face and things that they have to to face every day and just just the reality of life and walking around and I think the biggest church in the world is in Korea it has like 100,000 people or something um, anyways this group is coming over they they said that when their country was in need America stood with them and prayed for them and they their heart is that that America is hurting and I've been told there will be a translator if there are, you know, English-speaking people present, but um, they'll be praying in their native tongue. But if uh, people are there, all right. I learned something today. I didn't know your involvement in the ski to see. So that's sweet. That means we're going to win because Caitlin knows what's up. Um, hey, can I pray for the teaching this morning? And, um, you know, we're gonna we're continuing in the book of Mark, but my heart I gotta be honest it's just it, my heart hurts after this week and and this you know this last year and two years and then you see the list of all the you know the ways that we as people hurt each other and it just it's hard man it's just tough and um, I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the things to do, but God does. So I thought maybe just we could acknowledge um, the hardships and these families in Uvalde, Texas, and um, these kids, and uh, we could uh, lift them up in our prayers as a church. So, Lord, we thank you that we can be here this morning. We thank you that there are people around the world that acknowledge um, that we need you, Holy Spirit. And we are seeking you, and we are asking you to do things that, that are miraculous. To transform people and nations in this world into your image. And we believe that you sit on a, a throne that maybe physically is in heaven, but it is a throne that has all authority to rule all things. And our prayer is that things would be subject and, and, and fall under your authority willingly, Lord. And uh, may it start in our hearts, in our lives. And we want to lift up the families uh, of Uvalde, Texas. Um, there are some families that they just experienced the worst day of their life. And then the day after the worst day of their life. And then subsequently a few days after that. It's been the hardest time they've ever faced, and I can't imagine being in their shoes. And so, Lord, there are parts, and I thank you that you say that even when I don't know what to say, your spirit uh, speaks through me as we collectively just let out a, a hurting breath. We know that you hear the words and the intercessions and the groanings behind those deep breaths. So we ask that you would bring comfort. Most, most of all, Lord, we ask uh, for your presence, that you would be present with them. 
and in this time. So, Lord, we love you. We lift up our time this morning. We ask that you would be uh, glorified in, um, as we open your word. We ask you, you would speak to us, help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to make a difference, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark, continuing on. And um, we're getting closer, y'all. We've been doing good. Chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. Starting in verse 17, I'd like to read the passage, and then we will um, get into the message. I've, we're going to call this morning's teaching, Are You Too Rich for Your Own Good? Are You Too Rich for Your Own Good? Starting in verse 17 of chapter 10, says this. And he was setting out on his journey. That's Jesus. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, interestingly, those commandments Jesus taught there are the second six, the ones dealing with people. First four of the Ten Commandments, our relationship to God, they're vertical commandments. The second six are these horizontal, dealing with other people. Verse 20, and he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Would you underline that? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the things, disheartened by the, this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, like their jaws dropped. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looking at them, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters, mothers and children and lands with persecutions. He had to throw that in there. And in the age to come, eternal life. Verse 31. Here's a kicker. But many who are first will be last, 
and the last first. Some well-known scriptures in there. Um, are you too rich for your own good? I love what this, this commentator I was reading says this about this passage. He says, today we are going to look at, actually my, I added today we're going to look at. That's no big deal. But he said, of all the people who ever came to the feet of Jesus, this, is the, this man is the only one who went away worse than he came. Of all the interactions we see with Jesus, this man goes away worse than when he came. I want to talk together with you guys today about, um, about wealth about material things. I have two principles we're going to talk about and two practices at the end. But I thought maybe we could just kind of strip back the veneer on, on some of these things and we could look at this young man who came before Jesus. And then maybe we could actually look at it, which might be a little easier in our context. So I want to talk about when it comes to our relationship to our stuff, I want to talk about the way wealth looks, like what it looks like, um, the way it is, and then Jesus wants to give this young man uh, the way forward. What does wealth look like? If I, if I could be honest, um, one of the most common misconceptions about wealth, meaning having a lot of things, having is that it looks good. Can we just be real? It looks really nice. To have the things that you, that you desire. To, um, when you see wealth, I always thought, I grew up poor. So when I saw, I don't, I knew that I was poor. Um, but there was love in my home, so I didn't feel like I didn't have. Does that make sense? I grew up in Aspen, Colorado. Aspen, Colorado is the richest town in the United States. Like, people fly their jets, like we drove our cars to church, they fly their jets to Aspen to live in their, it's not their second home, typically for a lot of people who come, we're talking like fifth home, sixth home, you know, they have an Aspen house, a house in the Alps, uh, one here and there. So wealth is like this common thing where you land your private jet, you jump in your car, you go to your, this house. And I got to be honest, it looked so good. As a matter of fact, it was like, that's what I want. I, there, was, there was something that I really wanted to experience. And, and what, se what it really seemed like is that things would be easier. Who's ever said in your mind, raise the hand of your heart. You know, you raise it straight up. That's because you're Marty and you're honest and I love you. But if you've seen something on someone else, your first thought sometimes might be like, why did they get that? But then your second thought is like, I wish I had that. Why is that? Because wealth looks good. It's inviting. Not only does it look good, but sometimes we equate someone's stuff with their well-being. That looks good. They must be good. What did they do? What email, this is what I used to say, what email did I delete or show up in my spam folder that they answered? 
I see people my age, and I'm all, what? I missed something. Probably would have helped if I paid attention in school a little bit more, too. But there's something about this good person who has good standing. Look, this guy. He came up to Jesus. Upon further study, we realized that this was a very well-respected person in the community. He looked good. He acted good. He had good morals. He had good manners. He was a good dude. Wealth looks good. But then it's not just the way it looks. Jesus is going to show this guy, call him young man, guy, kid, don't really know how old he was. In my mind, he's successful in his 30s or something. And Jesus is going to show him what he sees, the way it is. This dude, no doubt, wanted what we all want. He wanted this. He wanted to come up to Jesus, and this is what he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? It's sort of like a a phrased question, because he's going to say, I've been doing all this stuff, and I'm doing pretty good. But he wanted what we all want. We want to present our lives before Jesus, and we want him to go. And then we say, here's what I have, Jesus. What, what do you want me to do? And this is what we want subconsciously. We want him to go. Don't change a thing. You look so good. This looks good on you. You don't need to do anything. Keep doing what you're doing. If he did that, we'd be so pumped. We'd be like, yeah, sweet. I'm doing good. But he doesn't do that. He tells us what's really going on, and he tells us the way, not just the way stuff looks, but the way it is. This is what he says to him. One thing you lack. So he says, with these moral things, you've heard it said, what must I do, Lord? And he says, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Don't steal, don't bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Now, if you follow Jesus' teaching, we know that in reality, he probably hadn't kept any of those because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says what it looks like. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And then he goes, then he says what he sees, but I say to you, if you've looked at another person with lustful intent in your heart, then you've committed adultery. And you're like, you were doing good until Jesus told you the way it really is. He says, you do not murder, and we're like, check. But I tell you that if you look at someone and there is hate in your heart, and you're like, oh, guilty. And so, but according to Jewish law, the, the law that they followed, you could actually be, you could keep the, the law. Paul, the apostle who wrote a lot of the New Testament, said that he kept the law and was blameless when it comes to the law. So this guy wasn't <clears throat> not trying to be a good person. He was really trying. Well known in the community, nice guy. But Jesus says to him, how are these things? And he's like, I've done all of those. But then Jesus goes, can I point out something and he's going to point to something that's really hard for this guy 
and it's something that will be really hard for us. But I just want to tell you guys something before we go any further. Jesus wants what's best for you, not for him. He is the king of the universe. He created all things, and by him all things are held together. But when he looks at you as his child, he, like the best parent, wants what's best for you. And so then he says this, one thing you lack. And then he talks about these different things. But here's what he's saying to this guy. Your relationship with your stuff has negatively affected your relationship with God. Your relationship with your wealth can negatively impact your relationship with God. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Maybe you've heard this verse. Here is a little bit of context. But people who long to be rich, desire to be rich, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, Jesus in the, in, the, in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are the accounts of Jesus when he walked and lived and breathed and was on the earth with us. The rest of the New Testament is teaching about this. You can look later on and you can see where passages will be taught again or expounded upon. And so Jesus says it, and then here's what it looks like in life. So years later, this guy Paul, who was like this rich young ruler, so zealous to keep the law and for his faith, he was actually out killing Christians and trying to stop the church, and then Jesus stops him in his tracks. And then Paul is radically transformed, and he becomes like this awesome church planner and pastor, and he's caring for people. And this young guy that was under him, Timothy, like his son in the faith, he passed these things on, and he's kind of like, Here's something that Jesus taught and I have really noticed. People's desire for stuff has been a root. When you pull a weed, you pull the root if you want to get it. You can break off the top and have it not be there. You can give a little bit away, but there's something underground that needs to be. It's what really is the underlying issue. And what it is, did you notice it? It's not that money is evil. It's not that if you're wealthy, you're bad. It's, it's how we steward what God has given us. It's this desire for stuff over what God might want to do. It can, it can pull us away regardless if you have $100 or $100 million. It's not the amount of money. It's what's going on on the inside. That's why people who oftentimes... I want to be too general. That's why maybe I'll say for me as a child, not having much, I thought the way to be happy was to have a lot. So I did whatever I could to get a lot. And when you're a poor kid growing up in a certain place, maybe certain um, opportunities aren't awarded, so I learned how to steal. 
and that was so I could get what I thought was going to make me happy, only to realize there was one thing I lacked. And it wasn't a moral compass. It was a proper understanding of who Jesus is. See, when this young guy comes to Jesus and he calls him good teacher, there's a, some different commentary on what he was saying when he said good teacher. But um, he was acknowledging, and Jesus, and then you, did you catch that? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. When you addressed a rabbi in that day and age, you called them teacher, rabbi. To put this, this preface before it, good, complete, wholesome, whole is what that word means. It was a title given to God, and, then G- and Jesus is God. So why would Jesus say, why do you call me good? It's because this guy was coming to him to try to be validated in his pursuits, and Jesus is going to show him something different. He was coming to him like a life coach, not like God. And so we kind of come to to come to God for a validation of like, this is what I'm doing. I'm working hard. I pay my taxes, this and that. Does this look okay? And instead of going, yeah, looks good. Keep going. Jesus goes, ah, there's a heart. There's a root here that we want to talk about. And he has a way of pointing out stuff. But then he also has a way of transforming these things if we let him. I had an eye, eyelash on my, it was bugging me. Money is neutral, but powerful. You could surmise from that, that, um, those verses in Timothy. Here are, some sel- here are some inherent dangers that come with wealth. Self-reliance. A false sense of social importance. I'm important because. A false sense of blessing. I am really blessed by God because I have a lot of stuff. Isolation from reality. A lot of people aren't in this place. And so you can be not operating in the streams of where a lot of people are. You can be isolated in a false sense of security. You want to talk the best teacher in the Bible, well, the best teacher in the Bible is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, second best teacher in the Bible about wealth, in in my opinion, is King Solomon. King Solomon was the richest person that was ever recorded, says the scripture, and he was uh, in wisdom above all others who were before him or after him, meaning he had a lot of money and he knew exactly what to do with it but if you read solomon's writings so the book of proverbs one of my favorite books there's 31 proverbs one for every day of the month and he says things in proverbs like this a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination a rich man's wealth is his strong city a place where you can go and hide and it's like a high wall it will protect you in his imagination. He's not just poetic. He lived this stuff. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, so it goes uh, Psalms, the book of Psalms, then the book of Proverbs, and then right after the book of Proverbs is this book of Ecclesiastes. Have you ever heard there is a time to plant and a time to tear up, a time to live? Any Beatles fans, right? Well, that came from the Bible. and um, But he's talking about 
the, like this cyclical thing in life. And he talks about it. And he even talks about it with money. He's like, you get it, and then it goes away. He talks about you work and work and work, and you try to build this kingdom and empire, and then you die. And then your kids squander it. So what he, and that's a paraphrase, but that's what he's saying. And, he was, and then he says, so why do you give all of your time, all of your effort into just getting rich? And he talks about as he was living his life, he goes, here's some things I noticed. I gave everything to get more. And when, I, when he got it all, he was unfulfilled. One thing, something was lacking. The pursuit of them can pull us away from following Jesus in the way that he desires for you. And this young man knew it. Matthew tells, Matthew's gospel tells of this same account, but it adds one little thing that's really cool. It's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 20, when Jesus said, or the young man, before Jesus said his response, then the young man said to him, all of these I have kept, what do I still lack? He knew something was missing. He knew the way he looked on the outside was covering up something about what was going on on the inside. And then Jesus gives his, this response that we've heard before. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult Will it be for those who have wealth to, to enter the kingdom of God? And this has been taught, I'm sure, so many times. And I'm sure some good ways, I'm sure some bad ways, because you can make it be like, well, I have a lot of wealth. Does that mean I'm not going to heaven? It's actually interesting. And then Jesus says, and then he turns and he says, because um, the disciples were amazed. They were like, what? But because in their, in their um, culture, wealth is a sign of blessing. It sounds familiar. It's like, wow, you must have done really good for yourself. And, and so then they were like, well, how can that be? And then he takes it one step further and he says, children, I tell you. It's okay. Is that everybody? Yeah. Is it Amber? Are we good? Okay. What color is the car? Don't tell me. Okay. Lord, be, be with them. And then Jesus looking around, he says, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's a heavy statement. Here's what I want to know. How did Jesus say that? Did he say it with a scowl? Did he look at this kid in disappointment? Actually, um, it's thought, and I agree, that Jesus was smiling and laughing when he said this. It's actually a, a comment of humor. Um, the camel is the biggest animal in that area, and the needle, he's using this thing and he's talking about the things that our riches give us and the things that they keep it from. And so I think he turned in laughter and he's like, it's like, it's like trying to, for, you know, I'm trying to think of one that's good for us. 
That's like you tell someone, man, you couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat. <laughs> That's what you tell someone if they are bad, have bad aim. Or uh, anyways, I can only think of inappropriate ones. So <laughs> I'm not going to say them. We're at church for crying out loud. And so Jesus says, uh, this, this thing that is serious, but he says it in a way that I believe with a smile on his face. And I know, I, I think that because of this verse I had you underline. Before Jesus, and this man comes to him where he is, Jesus knowing all things, he says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. You know, it's one of my favorite little half verses in the, in the New Testament. Because who is Jesus? God in human flesh. What does Jesus know? Everything. Psalms, uh, Psalm 18 tells us that before we were born, Jesus knew us intimately. It says he knows the number of breaths you are going to take, the number, before there were any of them, he knew them all. So he knows all things. And yet it says in this moment, he looked into this man's circumstance, didn't say he was disappointed, didn't say, that the kid should be so much farther along than he is now, it says he looked at him and loved him. I think that's awesome because there's another person that was standing here in this that is going to experience that at a, at a point of great failure, and that's Peter. Peter was standing here, and it's not too much longer after this that Peter denies that he knows Jesus three times. He has been with him for three years. Given his whole, Peter, the guy who says, we've left everything to follow you. What about us? He's going to deny that he even knows Jesus. And as he denies, one of the Gospels tells us that Peter looked across and he, and he saw him. How do you think he looked at Peter? Disappointment? Mad? Uh, he loved him. Even in this place of brokenness and failure, just like he did. Jesus does not throw guilt and shame at people. So before we talk about our relationship to our resources... And the things that are going on in our life, the teaching that Jesus brings is not to bring shame at you and what you were raised with, how much you have or don't have. And it's not to bring guilt. Jesus is not passive aggressive, unlike some people I know. <laughs> we saw that on a button yesterday, and I'm like, I'm saying that tomorrow. It says, I'm not passive aggressive, unlike some people I know. He wants us to grow and be developed as people. He was promising this young guy something better than where he currently was at. Better than what his riches could get him. So then he tells us the way forward. The way forward is having a right relation. It's not having no relationship to wealth, material things. It's having the right perspective in relationship. Because Jesus said, no one can serve two masters Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We've, we've taught on that before, and I remember Ollie afterwards, he goes, it's like you can't, you can't walk in two directions at the same time. I was like, that is so true. You're walking one direction or the other. You can't serve God and serve this pursuit of riches. That's from Jesus' mouth. So here's what we want to do with the rest of our time here. I want to give, um, we want to look at two principles 
and two practices. I believe Jesus is laying out in here real kind of down-to-earth stuff to help us in our lives to think clearly and biblically and honor Jesus with the things that he's entrusted to us. Does that sound good? So principle number one. So principle, an idea, something you believe, something you adhere to, and then practice is what it is. So principle number one, money can buy happiness, but it can't buy wholeness. Whoever said money can't buy happiness didn't have money, maybe. Or maybe they were just unhappy no matter what. Because money can buy a good time. It can be fun. You can buy a new whip. You can buy a new bike. You could buy some new shoes. You, but money buys happiness. Um, retail therapy. Amen? All right. I love me some new stuff. But it's true that it can't buy wholeness. Maybe another way to think about it is like this. Money is an awesome servant, but a terrible master. It's a great tool, but it has a, uh, a very heavy-handed rule in your life. Money is an awesome servant, but a terrible master. The problem is, is that we don't, a lot of us don't actually believe that. It sounds good maybe in theory, but we say stuff like, I'll be the judge of that. It wouldn't be like that for me. But I'm thankful for a lot of the conversations that are happening in our world right now about mental health. Specifically when it comes to things like this. I was looking at a website this week and um, I didn't write percentages down, but there's this trend that has really happened in the, the last, you know, 10 years or so that people are really gravitating at a heart level toward jobs where they make a difference more than they make money. Um, people are gravitating to jobs that bring a sense of meaning and purpose regardless of how much money they make and that's what Jesus was putting his finger on it was the sense of unfulfillment in this man's life he had a lot of stuff but there was something that was off one thing is lacking missing incomplete where you're at and it was something that was not visible to anyone except for the Lord Here's a practice. So principle one, money can buy happiness, but it can't buy wholeness. That is something that you know to be true. Principle. What is one practice you can put into place to live out that principle? Practice is this. Put God first by putting your money second. You set the terms for your resources. This means... Let your money serve you or you will serve it. Uh, Solomon also says in Proverbs chapter 23, he says, do not toil to acquire, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be, dis be discerning enough to stop. 
like if that is your end all be all goal, don't do it. No good enough that doing that. In my mind, this is something that I've said to myself over the years, and it has served me well. And this is why I'm actually teaching as practically as I can. This is one of the best things I was ever taught as a young follower of Jesus. I wasn't taught it in sermon form. I was taught it in relational form from my pastor, who's kind of like my older brother in the faith. And he was like, JJ, let's talk about your finances. And I was, kinda, I was delivering pizza. I was like, what finances? And he was like, no, that's a, you can't say that. It's an excuse. And then he says, you need, and so he, you know, he didn't lay out principles and practices. He just told me straight up like a brother, you need to honor God with your finances if you want to grow in your faith and watch him bring you to where you want to be. So there, there's a, there's a whole sermon. I'm just trying to bring it out through a teaching of Jesus, not just in a one-on-one um, relationship and friendship. So the practice is we want to put God first, and one way you can put God first in your life is putting your finances second. How many people are owned by their stuff? Well, look at the debt in the world. Look at your credit cards. Look at the things that are going on. Look at why people think Dave Ramsey is so awesome. I never took it, but I married a math major. Thank you, Jesus. I've had a lot of debt. I had a truck repossessed when I was younger because I didn't know how to manage my resources. I had a lot of things I had to navigate through that on my own I wouldn't have, but learning this right here changed my life. Learning how to put finances where they need to be, learning to put Jesus where he should be, and one step I can do is learning to put my finances where they can be. So what's the way you can do that? You look at your financial situation, look at your stuff, and here's the deal. Be will, put it all on the table, your life, the things that you're responsible for, your wants, desires, needs, all that. If you could put it all out there and be willing to press the reset button. Because here's the thing, this is why some of this stuff doesn't play out as we say, where do I even begin? How do I even start with something like this? I owe this much, I make this much, and now I'm at church saying that I should somehow give to the church or however that goes so it, mathematically it doesn't make sense you know what oftentimes things of the spirit won't make sense that's why it's a step of faith but you watch what Jesus will do and you will be blown away be willing to press the reset button that's practice number one let me give you principle number two and then the last practice principle number two is this gifts now are an investment later. Look at what Jesus says, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And then he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Then it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He didn't think that that was the real, that was the deal. This man only saw his life. The world revolved around him. Jesus was trying to say that he wanted to open up a bigger picture for this man. Any one-sided relationship is, a, is an unhealthy relationship, right? 
when, when, when our world is just a one-sided thing, what do I get all about me and my stuff? It's one-sided, and it is unhealthy. God wants to show us so much more than what we can see if we are only inward focused. And since Jesus said it, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, he's saying what he wants is our heart. So if you want to know, how did I write it? God gives access to his heart if you'll give him access to yours. And it says that our material things are a direct pathway and access to our heart. One way Jesus does this is the way his church functions. Jesus could miraculously provide for whoever he wants, whenever he wants. Yet he set up this thing that we do as the body of Christ and the family of God and churches since the very beginning to take care of each other, to serve each other. He did that on purpose because he wants you to see when you give towards something, you give a piece of your heart when you give hard-earned money. We're not talking about excess. We're talking about, I worked hard for this, and I'm giving to something bigger than myself, and then your heart goes, and you want to know what's going on with where your resources go to, and there's this thing that's bigger. God starts giving you more of his heart. But is there room in your heart to receive it? What he's saying is your earthly gift makes an eternal impact. You know, it's one thing that's very interesting is um, one of the key factors to having less stress in your life is having a generous giving spirit. Um, Oxytocin uh, is is a brain chemical that is released in in a number of different things. But when someone gives of themselves, giving a gift, who's heard it's better to give than to receive? When you give a gift to someone and they open it and they're super hyped and you're like, yeah, Ninja Turtles, I knew you were like that. Um, there's a chemical that's released in your brain that, that counteracts stress. And you know what chemical, uh, what is the stress chemical called? Yeah, cortisol is released when we are stressed out about finances when we're trying to figure out all of this stuff, the actual, your brain chemistry is working. Giving is a way to, to fight against. And Jesus is saying, test me in this. See if this is true or not. That your brain is actually designed that when your focus is just here, you're way more stressed out. And when your focus is here, you're way more joyful. That's why the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. You would say, well, if I was happy or I had a lot, then I would give. What if the cheerful part comes over time of a step of faith and obedience? And you learn to love it. You learn to know that this, that's how faithfulness works, right? You look back at what God has done and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we started this then in our family or I started this. This giving thing is something that, often doesn't get taught until people have been walking with Jesus for a long time. It should be one of the first things that's taught because it's a material thing with a spiritual benefit 
in our lives. All right, last practice. This is the most practical of all of them. Be faithful with what's been entrusted to you. Peter's immediate thought was like, if that guy's there, what about me? If it's like that for a rich person, what about me? And then Jesus brings this very practically. And he was like, nobody who has given, truly I say to you, there is not one person who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or fathers or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. But then he says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. If greed keeps us from growing and God wants us to grow, if it's not about the amount, but about the practice, then it makes sense when he says many who will be first will be last and the last will be first. Let's give one example. And I won't, I'll give it to you from the Bible. Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. Jesus, when he finally gets to Jerusalem, it says, he goes into the temple, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And then he called his disciples, and he said to him, Now, could we put, it's not in there, but could you put in, and Jesus, looking across the temple, saw her and loved her? I think so. And then it says, so he called his disciples because he was watching. He did see her. And he says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of these who are contributing to the offering box. And if you know math, you say, no, she didn't. (laughs) She didn't. That won't even help keep the lights on for a day. But these wads of cash, they will help us to, you know, build the church and all the stuff. But Jesus said they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. It's as if that woman knew that there was something that was greater that Jesus could provide than what her money could for her. It's this, it's this, it's it as, I can't even say it. It's if she knew. that he was worth it. It's as she knew that what she really needed, money couldn't provide. That's how come the gospel is so powerful in the poorest nations in the world. I used to have such a hard time understanding Um, how people who could say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, and they could have such, and then, but have you ever gone on a mission trip to a a place where they don't have a lot? People's faith is, that's why we come back radically changed. Their relationship to their stuff is just different because it has to be. You're like, how could this woman put this in and be joyful about it? She knew something about God that maybe we didn't grow up understanding, 
But if we can learn to have the right relationship with our stuff, maybe we can start to learn some of this. I want the abundance that Jesus is talking about. Came to give abundant life. All right, let's finish this up. So what does that look like in my life? You know, there's all sorts of teachings in the Bible about how do you give, where do you give, why do you give. We're the family of God here. We're the bridge church. So if I could just talk real practically about what that might, because I remember when I was, I was like, well, what do I do? And he's like, well, take 10%. This is uh, what was taught to me over lunch somewhere. Take 10% of your finances and start honoring God with that. Before you pay Uncle Sam, honor God with your, with your paycheck. And I'm like, well, what, do you, what does that look like? Where does 10% come? I didn't know any of this stuff about the word tithe in the Bible. Like we have a tithes and offerings box. What is a tithe? A tithe is a fancy word for saying 10%, a tenth. Do I have to give 10%? No, you don't. You don't have to give anything to Jesus. Do I have to give here at this church? Nope, you don't have to do anything. But Jesus is offering a way forward. Imagine if God wanted to entrust you with this much of something. And currently you're being entrusted to this much. Well, if I had this much, if I had a million dollars, I'd buy you a... Or an emu. Um, but can we be honest that if you would never do with this much what you won't first do with this much? Because it's not the amount, it's the principle. That's why it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And no, you don't need to give a tenth. But when you give 10%, and that's why it's a percentage is cool because it's not an amount, it's in relationship to where you are. You be faithful with what's in front of you. If you make 250 grand a year, 10% looks different than someone who makes 20 grand a year. There were years and years and years where our family made for a whole family like 20 grand a year and we were figuring it out. That's when we started. And if I could talk about God's faithfulness in our family, I would say if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to see God entrust you with more, if you want to see him do what the word of God says, where he says, see if I don't pour forth a blessing. You don't see if you be faithful with what's in front of you and you see if I will entrust you with more. Would you take a step? Because not only doing it, it opens up pathways to your heart. It opens up God's heart to you. You start to see avenues. God begins to do a radical thing when you trust him in this area, you make it part of the practice of your life and you have a proper relationship to your stuff. It quits owning you as much because you start to realize that that is going to take you off where you know you want to be. And so if you're willing to reset, if you're willing to think about where it is that you want to be in the future, if you want God to use your life more, all of these things, if you put this thing in the practice that Jesus is talking here, you'll be radically blessed and you will grow, I promise. That's all I got. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for...
the teachings that they come from you. <laughs> because I know that you put it in us to want to give and be a part of things. That's why we feel good about giving to charities and nonprofits and seeing other people benefited. I know that you put that in us and you made our brains work that way. And I also know that sin goes against all of that stuff because we have all of these thoughts like, why would I do that? Or this, I work, all of this stuff, Lord. But I thank you that it's something that you speak to and you speak to a lot. I just really think you mean it. I've seen these things work out in my own life and I want to continue to, Lord. Please help me to honor you with the things that you have placed in front of me to trust you and to trust, uh, to trust you with my family, to trust you with our future, to trust you with our finances, to trust you with this church. Lord, we, um, you have given so much and uh, we just want to honor you with our first and our best of all of our stuff. And um, so we thank you. And I just want to pray for anyone in this room today that, that maybe heard what I was saying as, in order for God to like me more, I need to start giving. I pray, Spirit, that you would speak to the depth of this person and just tell them that right where they're at with who they are before anything else, you love them so deeply. And the greatest truth we learned in this text today is that we can come to you really expecting you to teach us and tell us um, who you are, what you see in our lives and what you want to do in our lives. And that we would not leave you as the role of a teacher, but let you be God. So thank you, Lord, for today. We sing this song to you, and uh, in response, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. This last song, I want to give you a picture in your mind as we begin to sing it. We've only sung it a few times here at the bridge, but I, uh, it's helpful to me to picture those ancient cathedrals, and you know how each of the different windows have different images of